Good morning. I feel like we've already had several sermons this morning. I don't know if I really even need to say anything. Uh, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Psalm 120. Psalm 120. If you've been keeping up in the daily Bible reading or following along with us, um, you're probably well past this psalm already. Uh, but I wanted to go back and look at it and Psalm 121, the, ver- uh, the psalm right next to it, together. So the question we want to look at today is, why do we need Christmas? Why do we need Christmas? It's December 5th, yes, December 5th, and the radio stations are playing Christmas music now. Most people have their decorations up. Uh, You're probably thinking about buying Christmas gifts. That change that comes every year in our society from the rest of the year and Christmas has happened. Now people are thinking about Christmas. People are thinking about family. People are thinking about getting together. People are thinking about good things. People are thinking about not so good things. People who struggle through the holidays. Wherever you stand with Christmas, whether you know its true meaning or not, whether you know what the point of it is or was or not, I think we need to consider why we need Christmas, why it's vitally important to our lives. What is so important about Christmas? We've already sang a couple of Christmas carols this morning, and you might have already been able to pick up why we need Christmas. They were in there. It was in there. The answer was in those Christmas carols. And many of the old ones, the ones that have endured for a long time, they seek to answer this question. I want to read to you a couple of these. It's interesting that people sing these during Christmas, almost everybody sings these or knows them, even if they don't know what they mean. And I think that's a good thing. Even if our culture doesn't fully grasp the meaning of Christmas, it still has power in people's lives. And I think that's a good thing. But listen to some of these Christmas carols. This is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It says this, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lowly exile here until the Son of God appear. O come, thou rod of Jesse, free, thine own from Satan's tyranny. From depths of hell thy people save and give them victory or the grave. There's another Christmas carol called In the Bleak Midwinter, and it says this, In the bleak midwinter, frosty wind made moan. Earth stood hard as iron and water like a stone. Snow had fallen, snow on snow, snow on snow, in the bleak midwinter long ago. Oftentimes, our Christmas carols that we sing in joy make a point to emphasize the fact that there is a problem in this world. Helplessness and hopelessness are often found right in the verses of our favorite Christmas carols. Maybe we don't think about them or dwell on them too much because Christmas is a time of joy, and that's good. But it's important to consider why we need Christmas. 
there's a great need for rescue, a great need for protection that's often highlighted in the songs we sing at this time. And what's interesting is that in the ancient hymn book of the nation of Israel, the book of Psalms, they also understood and oftentimes highlighted, oftentimes highlighted the need for Christmas. Whether or not they knew what they were talking about exactly or how it was all going to be fixed in the end, many of the Psalms we read highlight the need for Christmas. And we're going to look at that today. So if you have turned in your Bible to Psalm 120, we're going to uh, dive right into that. It says this. By the way, this is a, it says a plea for relief from bitter foes, and then under that it says a song of ascents. So this starts a new group of psalms, uh, 15 I think, yeah, I, uh, 15 psalms that are grouped together, and a song of ascents are for pilgrims, so the Jewish people who are far away from Jerusalem, when they are on their way to Jerusalem to worship, these are the songs that they are supposed to sing as they draw near to God to bring them into his presence. Maybe even uh, they would sing these on the steps of the temple going up at certain times. You'd sing a song on one step, you'd sing a song on another step as you drew close to the presence of God. So Psalm 120 starts this song of ascents off and it says this, In my distress I cried to the Lord and he heard me. Some psalms start this way, others start differently. But it's always interesting, I think, when the first thing off the bat, and you can tell when it's going to be one of those that it's a cry for help, when the first thing they say is, he heard me. They already know, this psalmist already knows that the only place that he will find rescue and help is from God himself. And he trusts that the Lord is listening to his people. So it says this, Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. The psalmist is in desperate need for help and for protection. The life he's experiencing or she's experiencing, whoever this is, the servant of God is experiencing, is full of hardships. And they go to the Lord in distress and they need salvation. And what do they need salvation from? It says, deliver me from lying lips and a deceitful tongue. In verse 3 it says, what shall be given to you or what shall be done to you, you false tongue, sharp arrows of the warrior and the coals of the broom tree. What's going on here is this pilgrim, this psalmist, this servant of the Lord is being surrounded by lies and deceit in their pursuit of a godly life in their pursuit of following the Lord, they have made enemies, enemies of God, enemies of the truth. And what do enemies of the truth do? They like to accuse the servants of God of lying and being deceitful, of being something other than they actually are. And this is distressing. This is overwhelming to the psalmist here. It's so bad that the, uh, in verse 4, they liken the lies and the deceits to sharp arrows and coals of the broom tree. The broom tree was something that the uh, Jewish people, the ancient Israelites, made coals out of it, burned really well. And so they're comparing what they're experiencing, the lies and the deceit in their life, their oppression 
for serving God, they are comparing that to sharp arrows and to burning coals. James echoes that kind of a thing too when he says that your tongue has the power to burn things to the ground. This psalmist is in desperate need for rescue because as they, wherever they are, are trying to serve the Lord, they're being bombarded and attacked by the enemies of God. They go on and they say this in verse 5, Woe is me that I dwell in Meshach, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. My soul has dwelt too long with one who hates peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. It's physically impossible for this psalmist to dwell in both Meshach and Kedar. They're very far apart. You couldn't live in both at the same time. So it's not talking literally here. He's talking figuratively. And he's talking about two places that Israelites would know were vehemently opposed to the worship and service of God. They were hostile to the truth of the Lord. And so... The psalmist says, I live among the enemies of God. I am trying to honor God in my life. And look, it says, I'm for peace. I I just want peace. I don't want to be in conflict with those around me. And yet, what is their purpose? Their one goal is to make war upon the people of God. When I speak, they are for war. The psalmist The servant of God experiencing this kind of a life needs Christmas. The people, the hostile, the enemies of God, whether they know it or not, they also need Christmas. If you've ever felt like as you serve the Lord that you live among the enemies of God, those who would seek to slander you, those who would seek to destroy your life, those who would seek to make it difficult for you to love the Lord, you need Christmas. It's vitally important that Jesus came that night to be born to lead to the cross, to lead to the celebration of Easter. Without Christmas, Easter doesn't make any sense. It's vitally important that Jesus come. And the psalmist, without knowing those terms, is saying the same thing. I need rescue and salvation from God. So now look at Psalm 121. They have to go together. You can't have one without the other. Because Psalm 120 is in the bleak midwinter. It is lost. It is, there's no hope. It's in the midst of death and defeat. That's what you find in Psalm 120 for the servant of God. And in Psalm 121, it's a very different picture. It says this. uh, The title is, God, the help of those who seek him. This will tie to Psalm 16 that we read earlier. It says this. I will lift my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. You get the feeling that at the end of Psalm 120, the psalmist is in a state of defeat, despair, and shock. And all they can do is look up and cry for help. Now, it's interesting. It says, I lift my eyes to the hills. Two possible things could be meant by this. The first thing, obviously, could be, well, when you lift your eyes up to the hills, the hills are a place that are high, that salvation might come from. 
Oftentimes, cultures would build their places of worship up in the hills where it's high and above everything else. So perhaps that's what's in play here, but also, the hills were dangerous places. And if you're a pilgrim walking on the road, you're looking at the hills to make sure that the bandits aren't coming down to rob you and possibly kill you. But it doesn't matter which one he means here because either way, verse 2 uh, verse two is still true. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. If he looks to the hills for salvation, he realizes he has to look even above the hills to the one who created them. And if he looks to the hills because he's worried that his destruction is coming from there, it doesn't matter because he looks beyond those hills to the ones who created them, the Lord. He looks to his creator, Messiah, the Lord who made the heavens and the earth, the one who's in control of the hills, the one who's in control of how high they are, how low they will fall. That's who he looks to. He looks to the Lord. That's why we need Christmas, because Christmas reminds us to look to Jesus, to look to the Lord, to save us, to rescue us. The rest of Psalm 121 is all about how the Creator Messiah, the God who rescues, keeps and works with and protects his people. Look at this. On all different levels, on all different levels, it doesn't matter It doesn't matter what you want to talk about. If you want to talk about your soul's salvation, if you want to talk about your day-to-day, God is intimately interested and connected to that. Look at what it says. He will not allow your foot to be moved. Verses uh, 3 through 6, we're going to look at those together, and then 7 and 8, we're going to look at those together. Verses 3 through 6 are all about how the Creator Messiah protects his people day-to-day and what he's interested in, what he cares about in their lives. And you're going to notice this word, um, keeps. It's going to come up several times in verses 3 through 6. It says this, He will not allow your foot to be moved. He keeps you stable. The path you walk, he keeps that protected. He walks with you. He, keeps you, uh, he who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. We're going to learn two things about the Creator Messiah in verses three through six. And the first is that he keeps his people. He protects them. Another word for keep there is to protect. The Lord is your keeper, your protector in verse five. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. Shade protects you from the burning sun. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The creator Messiah, the one who made the hills, the one who made the mountains, the one who raises up kings, And the one who lays nations low, that God protects his people. If you are one of his people, you can be assured, no matter where you live, if you live in Meshach, if you live in Kedar, if you are far from the presence of the Lord, far from home, Jerusalem, the temple, represented the presence of God for his people in ancient Israel, right? If you are far from there, if you're a pilgrim on the road, If everyone, the enemies of God, are all making war on you, you can be assured that God will protect you. It's a promise. And he's so interested in it. It's so important to him that look at what it says. This is the second thing we learn about the creator Messiah, is that he never sleeps 
on the job. He could never be too tired to protect you from the enemy. He never even slumbers. He never gets to a point where he's just worked too much and he's sort of kind of getting slow and not thinking about what's going on and maybe just would like to just lay his head down and sleep. Never will God do that. He doesn't slumber and he shall not slumber or sleep. God is protecting his own all the time. We need Christmas to remind us of that fact. By sending that little baby, Jesus, as a little baby in a manger, no fanfare, well, a little bit of fanfare, but not much, not what he deserved, right? I mean, he got some shepherds. But in no way did anybody really know what was going on or the majority of people know what was going on except for a few. And and God sent Jesus that night to remind us that he is always protecting his people. He is their keeper and he'll never sleep. Then verses 7 through 8 show us what the creator Messiah does for your eternity for you forever. It says this. It, the, the words, shifts, the words um, shift a little. The meaning is the same or very close, but the words shift a little to give you just a little bit more of an idea of what God does for his people. He said keeps um, several times in the last section, and now he moves from the word keep to the word preserve. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going and your coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. The Creator Messiah has the power to preserve. Another word for preserve would be to sustain. If you preserve something, if you preserve meat with salt, you are sustaining it. You're giving it life beyond what it might normally have. You're keeping it good. You're keeping it edible. To preserve is to sustain, to give long life to. And that's what the Lord will do for his people. From all evil, evil here could also be calamity, distress, right? There was clear distress in Psalm 120. There was clear oppression in Psalm 120. There was war made on the people of God in Psalm 120, and God says, I will preserve my people from all of that, all evil. And this is interesting. This is how I know that the psalmist is tuned into the fact that God's protection is more than just every day, day-to-day life, every moment, physical illness, physical calamity, those types of things. I know that he understands that the protection of, protection of God is also needed for my soul when he says he shall preserve your soul. That out, the soul is going to last a lot longer than your body. That is something that, 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 is, that, is, that is different. He is letting us know that the Messiah, the creator Messiah, has come to do something more than just give you a peaceful life more than just heal you from ailments. He's come to preserve your very 
soul, your very standing relationship with God, the Creator Messiah has come to sustain that, to give that life. Paul says in Ephesians that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. He's not talking about your physical body is dead. He's talking about your soul, your spiritual body is dead because of sin. So if something's dead, it can't be preserved. There's nothing to preserve. So if this is true and the psalmist is not a liar, then that means that God must have made a way to revive the soul and to keep it. And that's why we need Christmas, because Christmas reminds us that Jesus came to die on a cross and rise again on the third day to save sinners, to wash sins clean, to bring enemies of God, to bring the people from Meshach and Kedar, enemies of God, and turn them into sons and daughters of the king. He has the power to sustain us, to sustain his people through physical calamity and spiritual calamity as well. And it says this, he does this, that you're going out and you're coming in, and from this time forth and even forevermore, the point is your entire life is protected by the Lord if you are one of his. Christmas is a great time because people are thinking about it in, way, in, 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 in ways they might not even realize. People are thinking about everything tied up into Christmas. And yeah, there's a, lot of, there's a side to Christmas that has nothing to do with Jesus. But at the same time, this season is filled with the name of Christ. And so what can we do? What can we do to help people understand, first of all, their need for the creator Messiah. Second of all, that they can have that relationship with him at no cost to themselves other than their belief and their trust. Jesus did all the hard work to preserve any soul. All we have to do is put our faith and trust in that. Couldn't we, won't we as the church share that? As pilgrims who understand the protection of God and have felt the protection of God and have experienced the saving, sustaining protection of God, won't we share that with those who need it this season? I want to end by reading um, some verses of another Christmas carol, famous one, you know it, uh, but it ties all of this together, I think, and it gives us the answer to why we need Christmas. It says this, O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Pining means wanting, needing something else. Till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. That worth gave a thrill of hope. And the weary world, under the burden and the yoke of sin, rejoices at the coming of its king, Jesus. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. He changes everything about what we experience in this world. He knows our need. To our weakness, he's no stranger. Behold your king, 
before him lowly bend. We need Christmas to remind us that we need to bow our knee to Christ. Behold your king, your king before him bend. Truly, he taught us to love one another. His lies love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy and grateful chorus raise we. Let all within us praise his holy name. Christ is the Lord. Then ever, ever praise we. His power and glory evermore proclaim. His power and glory evermore proclaim. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to open your word and to dwell on your truth. Father, I pray for this Christmas season, Father, when thoughts turn more easily to the story of Jesus, more easily to that name. I pray, Lord, that your church, your people, those pilgrims who've already experienced the protection and the preservation of their souls by the Creator Messiah, I pray that they who know that would be willing to share that with those who don't, would be making it a priority in their lives, in our lives, to show the love of Christ in what we think, say, and do to a world that is lying in sin and error pining. Father, for anyone here who does not know you already, has not come under your protection, I pray, Lord, that they would acknowledge their sin and acknowledge their need for Christ and put their faith and trust in his work on the cross. Father, I thank you for Christmas and the time when we can celebrate and be joyful, but let us never forget why we can be so joyful, why we should be celebrating, because you came and you dealt with our biggest need, our need to be free of our sin and to experience everlasting life. We thank you and we love you and we ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.